You know, I think, I think back to the life of PPC over the last 100 years and probably the last 50 years or 30 years in particular, PPC has led the way in this community in a variety of manners. A soup kitchen, 30 years old. PPC was doing soup kitchens before churches did soup kitchens. Because churches at that time were the social club of the community. That's just where you meant. It was almost like a country club, and churches aren't a country club. This is Placentia Presbyterian Church. It's not Placentia Presbyterian Club, right? And so PPC led the way. Had a soup kitchen and a homeless shelter. They did things with mental health. Our deacons and Stephen's ministers, by the way, I'm super grateful for them right now. They do an amazing job with the variety of needs that, that happen, that you know about and that you don't know about, that I get to know about. <laughs> and I'm super grateful for everything that they have and continue to do. So the list is long. Those are just a few. How do we live like a Christian in our neighborhood? How do we, in the words of the prophet Micah, act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with our God? That's the question. Dare to wonder with me about it this day. It's not just about our community. It's about the nation. I've come to change my mind a little bit about these two key theological words, peace and justice. Justice and peace. Justice and shalom, all things put right. It used to be in my mind as I thought about these that these were one of a long menu of items that a church would choose from, right? So there were some folks that did, they were into homeless shelters and homeless ministry. Yeah, they, that group does that. And, and then some other folks were really into caring for people. And, and yeah, they did, they did that. And, and then some folks were... We're into feeding people, and then that group of folks, they did that. And the list is long and large. And others are into children's ministry, and they did that. And some are into music ministry, and they do that. And some are into delivering the Word of God. That would be me and a few of you as well. And we do that. And so there's this, this drop-down menu, if you can think of it like that. And, and there's all these action items that churches choose to participate in. And justice and peace were one of them, and I'm changing my mind about that. And I encourage you to just dare to wonder about this with me. Because peace and justice, or justice and peace, they're not outreach strategies in a drop-down menu that a church chooses either to or not to participate in. Peace and justice is a way of life for the church. It's almost the header of that drop-down menu. So what does it look like to be a church that is about justice and peace, not just in its community, but even the way its footprint impacts the national conversation at so many levels? I don't think peace and justice is just an option of items to choose from. It really is central to the core and call of what it is for the church to be the church today. 
So I want to unpack five reasons why I think shalom and peace and justice are the primary ways to be Christian in our neighborhood. Can we do that together today? And I hope that you're really willing to put your thinking caps on and dare to wonder about this with me. First reason why becoming a just church is our mission in the world stems from God, God's self. Because God is the original expression of shalom. Now, I want you to think about God before anything else is created. Just let your mind wander there as if it can. Okay, nothing exists except the Trinity, the Holy Trinity. Creator, Son, Holy Spirit, and they're doing their relational thing. Because it really is all about relationships with God amidst God's self. That God exists in a perfect community of three. Nothing is missing, nothing is broken. In that God, before there's anything, there's no oppression, there's no evil, there's no injustice, there's no marginalization in any way, shape, or form. Perfect peace, perfect love, perfect justice. Tracking? So follow the logic, because I think it's logical. So that's the first reason. The first reason for the church to be all about justice in the neighborhood is how we live Christian in our neighborhood, expressing justice and peace. Because God's like that. So one night on the eve of creation, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are having a grand banquet. And they're laughing and telling stories and just enjoying the perfection of the Trinity. And they say, all right, you know, tomorrow, as if there's a tomorrow, let's create. Let's create all that there is. Let's create the earth in a way that it is able to sustain human beings created in our image. And we're going to make all kinds of species of birds and creepy crawly things and things that'll pester human beings and allow them to remember that there is a God and there's something better to come, like mosquitoes. And we're going to put all kinds of cool things in the sea. And we're going to create all kinds of human beings of, of all different ethnicities. And this is going to be a blast. You want to do this tomorrow? Yeah, let's do this. So out of the expression of this perfect, nothing is missing, nothing is broken, peace and justice and shalom God, God extends that into all of creation ideally. And that's the second reason. Creation is the original extension of God's shalom. The triune community of God is extended to all people and the cosmos and to creation. It is the God who exists as shalom community who then acts in the world in creation and our lives. Amen. <laughs> you just can't make some stuff up. <clears throat> now here's what I find interesting about peace and justice. It's not a partisan issue. Peace and justice is not a partisan issue. Peace and justice, or shalom, is the primary work 
of the church. It's Christian spirituality of the human species. Because God's like that. And God created us to enjoy that. Following my theology? Because bad news is coming. Reason number three, ready? And you can follow along because it's in there. Sin, brokenness, shatters shalom. Here's where things go crazy. Here's where we see the world on display every single day. We have things like evil. We do. We have things like death. We have sickness. We have mental illness. We have all kinds of isms. Racism. Now the other thing that's interesting is is all of these things impact this perfect creation. Now what do we do? God uses the people Israel to restore. God uses Jesus to restore. God uses the church to restore. Nothing missing, nothing broken. Peace and justice. Primary work of the church. Because that's the way God is. And as I was studying this and thinking about it, I'm fascinated by the way in which the world changes through the centuries and millenniums. I don't know if you know this or not, but up until the time of the Reformation, the primary type of justice that was implemented in creation with human beings was restorative justice. You know what restorative justice is? The Catholic Church was the primary purveyors in this. It's where we get our penitentiary. The penitentiary comes from penance. The purpose of penance was always about not retribution, but restoration. And something happened at the time of the Reformation, primarily through our friend John Calvin, who implemented capitalism, and everything became competitive. Track with me. I promise I'll tie it together. That competitive capitalism led us to transfer restorative justice to retributive justice. Because everything's competitive. He didn't mean it that way. It just happened. And then the Age of Enlightenment. And then the Industrial Revolution. And then Wall Street. And then my portfolio and yours. Notice the competition. The level increases. A a slow slide away from restorative justice to a competitive, retributive type of justice. I might have said that word wrong. It's kind of a tongue twister. So moved away from restorative justice, penitence, to retributive justice. Hey man, Len, you stole that. You're going down, sucker. Not that I would do that. Not that you would do that. I find this fascinating. Perhaps 
a church seeking to become a just church again in a new way, rediscovers restorative justice as a mechanism to shalom. Because that's the way God is. That's the way we were all set in motion originally. Now you might be saying, hey, wait a minute, man. If somebody does something to me, I want them to pay. Okay. See how ingrained we are in retributive justice versus restorative justice. It fascinates me historically and theologically and also yet practically in the way in which the church lives out its mission in the world. So if sin shatters shalom, and we're trying to balance retributive justice with restorative justice, what happens to evil? Well, in restorative justice, the biblical text comes to life. Because in the face of evil, God works in all things, even that evil, good for those who are called according to God's purposes. How about in death? Well, the biblical story comes to life in radically new ways. Because death is overcome by resurrection. We have a future and a hope. It's a different way to live. We're not just losers who go to the ground and become worm bait. Thanks for laughing. It's kind of funny. How about sickness? How about a 20-year-old young man who has a seizure when he thinks his whole life is in front of him and he finds out he has a, a mass on his brain? Well, the biblical story comes to life in new ways because God works in all things good. Death becomes resurrection and sickness can become healing, which is on his way to healing. How about mental illness? We have no idea the way people suffer in silence. People that we would think aren't suffering in silence, sitting in a row or standing on a stage, we have no idea what they're going through. But retributive justice wants to put them away somewhere so that we can all be safe. Restorative justice, the biblical story, comes to life. Compassion and mercy and grace and love in ways that we never thought we could gather the gumption to actually enact. And the church enacts it. Whether it's depression or bipolar or schizophrenia, and the list is long and large. Mental illness can become compassion to a productive life. Restoratively speaking, if we allow it. How about racism? 
Okay, now I'm going to get real. Because over the last 20 years, we've seen senseless violence on the national scene. And the conversation has changed. First, it was just a random act of evil. And then it was mental illness. Now it's racially driven. In the church, we still haven't overcome the stigma of mental illness, let alone what do we do and how do we deal with racism, driven violence and terrorism in our cultural context. Because we haven't been able to make the change from retributive justice to restorative justice. Because the church thinks that justice is just an option on their drop-down menu of things that certain people can get into and that's their thing, let them go do their thing. No, the church ought always be about justice. Read the entire Old Testament. Sift through it. And then watch it enacted in and through Jesus Christ. Who stands always with the marginalized. Trying to restore those who are suffering from retribution. Pretty crazy, huh? Is your mind doing a flip? I'm hoping your mind's starting to do a flip. It's called a theological backflip. And I will not demonstrate because that would be a workman's comp case. So racism, in the midst of restorative justice biblical story, becomes all people created as image bearers of God. Back to point number two. You see, this notion of being a member of a church isn't about being Jesus as my Savior and BFF so that I no longer have a role in the justice of the world and in my neighborhood and in creation so that prayers are enough. Prayer is a great start, but prayer does not ever alleviate us from our responsibility to act as restorers of justice because that's the way God set creation in motion to begin with. Now here's where it gets fascinating to me. I think the fourth reason why this is all true is that there's always a constant reformation of shalom community in and through the church. That's why I like PPC. The things that PPC did 30 years ago were on the cutting edge of restorative justice. However, friends, we can't freeze ourselves in time to 30 years ago. The world is a different place today. So we're continually reforming ourselves to take the principles of our past and enact them in the present. If we fail to do that, we fail to fulfill our mission as an alternative way to live in the world. 
Anybody ever seen this show? First of all, I'm a sucker for all these home reno shows. Anybody get sucked into those things? Don and I watch those things like they're going out of style. Well, hey, HGTV, let's go there. Right? Remember this old house? This, I, I love those shows. I don't know why. That's just kind of the way my mind works. We bought houses that we've done that with, and I'm, we're probably going to lose 10 years of our life from all that work. And in a lot of sense, you know, everything that we do, even in ministry, is a lot like that. This old house. I was fascinated to watch a show, not in the near past, but in the distant past. They had this show somewhere in the Northeast, a 200-year-old house that they were going to renovate for a new family that was going to move in. Listen to the story. It's, it blows my mind. And they, over the course of the hour of the show, they did it on a time-lapse photography of it. It was amazing to watch. At no point in the video, the time-lapse, did the house move at all. Its structure was entirely intact. The workers scaled its roof and worked up, and then they worked down and around until it was restored to its amazing beauty back to 200 years prior. Gone was kind of the, you know, just the grungy blight dirtiness of it, and it was now ready for a new young family to move into her. You know the deal, right? And they show this thing really fast, which is kind of fun. You've got to be careful if you get dizzy easy. At the end of the video, they said 95% of the house had been replaced. 95%. Only 5% of the house, the original house, remained which in the process of its transformation never moved an inch. Original footprint, right? So, was the house the same? Well, there's no way you could say no to that. The house was not the same. It was radically transformed. It was totally different. I watched the house stay the same, the footprint of it, the entire time. But was it a new house? It was. Now an architect might fight with me. It's, did you say no? Okay. It was a new house to my eyes. Legally, it was not. I'm fascinated by this. Same footprint, and it was new. It was authentically renewed. Same footprint footprint. Jesus does the same thing through the life of the church. Same church, if we're willing to be renewed from our 200-year-old state to whatever's happening in the world in the moment. The principles of our past that you just got to love, how do we reenact those right now? In I almost said 1919. 2019. How do you do it? A mighty renewing act of the Spirit of God. That's the nature of justice and shalom in the neighborhood. Now, last reason. Why is this so important? This is not a new concept. I talked about it a few weeks ago. I haven't left it. I'm still into it. A number of years ago, I was in Honduras with uh, a guy named Ch uh, Chet. I called him Chit Chat Chet. 
He was the great, a great tour leader. He talked the whole time um, and gave us history and information. But one of the things he told us was, we're trying to teach the local farmers not to slash and burn. We're trying to teach them to terrace so that they don't lose all the nutrients that they've built up over the years. When you slash and burn, there's a, when the, and the rains come, it washes all the nutrients that you need to farm well away. So we're trying to teach them not to slash and burn, but to build terraces to keep the nutrients right where they need them. Built on these, these hills that you could barely walk. He said, they weren't listening to me. So I went out and bought property. The benefits of terracing. I love this. He bought a demonstration plot. And he started farming it to show those unbelievers in the methodology how it works and why it works. My friends, that's the role of the church today. We're a demonstration plot to show the rest of the world a different way to live. And it's called All About Justice and Shalom. In a world of evil and in a world of death, in a world of sickness, in a world that doesn't care, in a world of mental illness that's still stigmatized, and in a world that's deeply bent on racial tendencies and division. Why? Because that's the way God is. And that's the way God instituted, created, initiated all of creation. I've recently written in an article, and I hope you read it. You know, there's a phrase that's going on in culture today that says, you know, like, in fact, I'm pretty sure I've said to Alfred, all three of you folks in the front row, and Mindy and Tim, and almost everybody in here, hey man, I'm for you. You ever said that to somebody? I'm for that, I'm for you. Moms, have you ever said to your kids, I'm for you? Now, you may not have said it just like that, but you meant it, right? This is kind of a common phrase these days, I'm for you. You know what's interesting about that phrase? When I say I'm for you, man, I am for you. It removes the, the spatial barrier between us. Like, I'm coming over here because you're sitting in the front row. It sucks to be you. Man, Len, if I say, dude, I'm for you, I'm for you. Do you notice the spatial barrier is removed? There's no, there's no barrier now because we're spatially connected with each other. When I say I'm for my children, it brings us spatially together doesn't draw us apart. When the church says it's for people, it removes a spatial barrier that separates. And Jesus Christ is the only one that can unify and bring together like that. It's called restorative justice. Retributive justice wants to stay, say, mm, I'm for you, but you stay over there, man. No. That's relationally dishonest. <laughs> That's a lie. 
So man, when I say, Len, I'm for you, man. I'm, I'm next to you. We're going shoulder to shoulder all the way through. We really are. To the extent that there's no us versus them. I've heard us talk in the church here. Hey, we need to do more stuff for us. Really? Really? Us is them. Them is us. I need you to help me change the language from us versus them to us. Because that's just and right, and that's the way God is. Does that make sense? Watch our language. Words create realities. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. And there was light. God spoke words, and it came into being. Words have power. Eliminate us versus them language. There's no such thing in the economy of God and in the life of the church. It's the power of restorative justice. We need to get to a place where us and them become a resounding shalom and just we. We. We, the men and women of PPC. We, the men and women of the neighborhood. We, the people. All of us. In full display of divine diversity. Nothing broken. Nothing missing. That, my friends, is the mission of the church and it's how we live like Christians in our neighborhood. Would you dare to wonder about this with me? We need it now more than ever. Let's pray. Silence to let the words go deep, the Spirit of God to transform, to till the soil as we become gardeners of demonstration plots that show the world another way of being a human being. Nothing broken, nothing missing, lives created in the image of God fully flourishing and on display. May it be so until the final restoration in Revelation 21. A new heaven on earth. On earth as it is in heaven today. Not a pipe dream just and peaceful and shalom-based restoration of the will of God. Answer those prayers. In your name we pray. Amen.